Guys, it's hotter, isn't it? Like, it's just noticeably hotter. Um, which isn't a bad thing. Um, so it's really nice. What was, uh, was Milligan's a reason to be cheerful um, on a Sunday? Very nice Sunday at the end of a very busy, busy week for me. This is a really great chat with Jesse Parker Humphreys. Um, we go over the two recent England friendlies and look ahead to City v Chelsea in the WSL. Mouth-watering tie with the top two teams, perfectly poised for something exciting to happen. Uh, you can read Jesse's work on their website and they're popping up all over the place it seems at the moment, um, which is great to see. Jesse, thank you so much for your time, really appreciate it and I really hope you enjoy the episode. We'll start with a WSL quiz, we'll see how much Twitter you've been following. Oh my god. Who has the most FAWSL assists of all time? Oh, I feel like I did see this. I remember being surprised because Beth Mead was up there. Yeah. And I was surprised that she was high. Beth Mead's second. I can't remember who's number one. Um, let's just go Jordan Nobbs. Jordan Nobbs third. So oh. Beth Mead's second, 29. Jordan Nobbs third, 28, tied with Farrah Williams. In the lead with 35 is Karen Carney. Karen Carney. Should have got that. A lot of assists. Let's go a bit more, a bit weirder. Most successful passes. Most successful passes. That is niche. I feel like someone like Steph Horton or someone Steph who's Horton. played like a lot of games. Yes. Steph Horton. Yeah. Uh, 7,302. That seems like Good quite a lot. Good for you, Steph. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's because Man City just play like lots of neat like passing yeah. between their centre-backs. Definitely. Youngest ever goal scorer. Mm, Lauren Hemp. Lauren Hemp, yes. 16 years, 258 days. Yeah. In those Bristol um, City times. Uh, longest unbeaten streak by a player. By a player? Longest unbeaten streak. Chelsea player from when they had their big run. Katie Chapman? No. Jiso Young? No. <laughs> Oh, Go on, tell me. Uh, Marmielda. <laughs> 52 games. This is just a lot. It's a lot of I know. games. I know. Like, which is which is very impressive. That went better than I thought it was gonna actually. Yeah, not 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 bad at all. I mean, I just saw that pop up. I was like, oh, a quiz. I've done a quiz <laughs> for a while. Um, let's start with England France, just because that game came before England Canada. Yeah. A few days after the game, what are your thoughts? Um, I think mainly my thoughts are of disappointment because I just feel like when Hegarisa came in, there'd obviously been a long period of time where people felt like Phil Neville wasn't up to the job, the performances and the results have been pretty bad. Everyone was happy that he was moving on and there was this really experienced, like exciting coach coming in. But I feel like across both the France game and the Canada game, she showed like a real conservatism with like her team selections and setups, which I think just like comes to this conclusion of just feeling like a bit meh at the end of it all. Because I feel like when a new coach comes in, you're always going to have that period of adjustment. And France and Canada are both two really good teams. Like, it doesn't have to be, like, embarrassing to lose to those those teams. But I just feel the manner in which the players who she selected played 
the the people she chose to put on the pitch that she's obviously looking at was just really disappointing. In the France game, did any of the selections to start surprise you? I was really surprised to see Rachel Daly start at right back and then move to left back. I mean, it's something that like Neville did a lot and she did do it at West Ham a couple of times, but she plays centre forward for Houston Dash and she looks at her best when she plays centre forward. So I actually counted in the France game on the pitch because Nikita Paris plays centre forward for Leon, and Ellen White obviously plays centre forward for Man City. We had three centre forwards playing in like out of position, which again is just like ridiculous. And Neve Charles was on the bench. And okay, like Emma Hayes is going to hype her up. Emma Hayes is obviously doing this big thing of converting her to a right back. And she said, Neve Charles is going to play right back for England one day. And, you know, of course, Hayes is going to say that about her player. But it just felt like these were the kind of like things you wanted to see, you wanted to try out. Like we've seen Rachel Daly play right back. She's not very good at it. She's not a natural right back. It's fine if you've got like an injury crisis. But I just think in that moment, Lucy Brom's being out, that's exactly the kind of player you wanted to see given a go in that position. Exactly the same on the other side. Like Esme Morgan came into camp because of some of the injuries that was picked up. We didn't see her at all. Like she didn't get on the pitch at all during that time. And that's what I mean when I say it's like conservative. We're playing all of these players who are who are aging out. Do you know what I mean? Like Rachel Daly, I think it's like 28, 29. These are the opportunities to like give the 19, 20 year olds a chance to like get minutes because they're the players who've missed out as a result of coronavirus. They're the players who haven't had the chance to get a go in the England team because England haven't played for a year. How much do you think her team selections are going to be based on who's playing for who's playing for their clubs and playing well for their clubs? Yeah, I mean, again, it's kind of like hard to to judge that because it feels like that's not really what she was interested in at all. Because you've got people like when the Canada game, obviously Carly Telford does one half and Karen Bardsley does the other. Karen Bardsley hasn't played for about two years and Carly mm. Telford hardly ever plays for Chelsea. Um, you know, in terms of like form, the kind of players you'd think you would be seeing more of, okay, Frank Kirby, she played a lot. Lauren Hemp also ended up playing quite a lot, but it would be like players like Chloe Kelly for me or, or like Neve Charles, like, and even Esme Morgan, she, you know struggled a bit against Barcelona for Man City but like that was still a big game to play in and you could see her growing in confidence as she like went through that game like all of these younger players are playing for their clubs in quite an impressive way and it almost feels like Hegarisa wanted to look at the players who weren't playing which I just think is not a very logical I mean I guess the point is maybe she can't see them play for their clubs so she has to watch them play for England. But then in the broader context of like, how does it feel when your team like gets battered in like two 90 minute friendlies? That's probably not the right way to go about it. Mm. The France game in particular just felt like we're nowhere near that level. Like there's just such a big gap between France and England. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, I feel like a lot was made that France were missing the Lyon players, but that front I'm they played it as a front four but Diani Baltimore and Katoto for me are like the best front three in European football at the moment like they are insane at PSG and obviously they had Govan there as well so you know I don't think it's like again the worst thing in the world to look at those players but I think what it speaks to which I was 
intrigued to see Hegarisa not do more with is how important it is for international teams at the moment to focus on which players are playing together at club level because you've got this lack of time. And I think that's what you saw with how effective France looked because they were like, and even behind them, there was like five or six, I think, PSG players in that team in total. And England can do that with Man City. And I'm not saying you should just pick the Man City team because I think there are other positions you can like, there are better players there, obviously, but to not even see, say, Hemp, White and Kelly as across the three when they've looked so good this season, I think, again, was just a bit like, it feels like you're shooting yourself in the foot. Mm. Yeah, when I, when, when I chatted to Flo, Flo was like big on that for, with some of the Chelsea players as well. She's like, you have this advantage that like these players are playing together regularly. They're winning games regularly together. When, when you don't have time and you want to try and build relationships between players and build chemistry in a team, you've got, like you said, it's like a head start. Just like, let's, let's, let's do that. Yeah, all the teams like in Europe that you saw do well over this international break really relied on having cores of club players. You've got Germany, who looked like really fantastic, mainly playing with Bayern players. You had Spain, which is just basically the Barcelona team. And they looked incredible against the Netherlands and then you had France I think as well and I know they lost to the US but that was again a much changed team but you know that core side that went out against England again I think showed how effective they can be and all of those teams rely on players from one squad. Just a side note I just watched the USA against France highlights to see to see Alex Morgan like running at full pelt down the left wing (laughs) like getting like staying on side and like really good finish across the goal. I was like, oh, you were at Spurs for a while and didn't see any of that. Yeah, that was truly a very bizarre period of time. She's just going to forever be remembered for um, hoofing that penalty over the bar in the Continental Cup against Arsenal. Yeah. Um, The Canada game, is it too reductive to just say it's a game bookended by mistakes and you can't make mistakes against good teams because then you lose? Yeah, and I think... The real problem was when, yeah, specifically when those mistakes were made, like how early Canada scored just allowed them to basically sit back in a low block that England just had no way to play around. And that's exactly why you don't want to make mistakes immediately because it just meant Canada could have, like, I don't know if that would have been Canada's exact game plan if they hadn't scored that early. But, I mean, Canada are managed by Bay. Priestman, right? She probably knows this team better than Hegarisa does. Mm. So to have that opportunity and then be like, okay, fine, like their midfields looked really good recently. Like Quinn just they seem to be hitting like new levels, especially for their national team. And then you've just got Jesse Fleming, who you just know is just gonna like run around the pitch for as long as you need her to and like snap at everyone's ankles. It was like handing them the keys to the game, basically, because then they can just sit and control it and, and that's what you saw and it just felt like no matter how much England had the ball no matter how many like nice passes they could put together there was none of the off the ball movement that was required to drag that block out of place and actually create anything and in some ways that's why the Canada game almost felt to me more disappointing than the France game because in the France game I thought England created quite a lot like if you looked at the XG, I think it was like 3.3 to 2.5. So England should have basically scored more and it was just poor finishing. 
but in this Canada game, it just felt like nothing was created. There was no opportunities and it didn't really ever feel like England were going to score at all. And that to me is, is more worrying, right? Because it's, it's one thing to, you know, to have a kind of makeshift defence against France, be ripped apart by like some really good attacking players, but at least still, still push them back. But, you know, Canada are probably a worse team than France. To just like not create anything against them, it, it just feels like, yeah, really disappointing. Mm. Yeah, there were a couple of moments when Sandy Walton got the ball and you're like, okay, like this is this is a really, really like someone on top of their game. Like if we're yeah. gonna if you're gonna try and stop stop a one v one, it's not happening. Like it's just yeah. not happening. Yeah, especially and then, you know, you can at least in that situation say, well, you know, Sandy Baltimore up against Lucy Bronze is going to be a different prospect to Sandy Baltimore yeah. up against Rachel Daly. But against Canada, it just felt like there was none of that excuse. Mm. How likely is it that this is the formation? It's just, it's a 4-2-3-1 and there's going to be a, you know, rotating cast of probably Frank Kirby as a 10, but we'll kind of plug and play with the wingers and the striker. Um, because it seems like the, the, the difference between having Kira Walsh and Jill Scott in the France game versus Jordan Nobbs and Georgia Stanway in the second game is enormous. Those are like four such different players. Yeah, I think the 4-2-3-1 will stay. That tends, that's what Hegarisa has basically played as a formation throughout her managerial career. What I did find slightly surprising was, especially against France, was how close Frank Kirby was to Ellen White, that it actually looked more like a 4-4-2 a lot of the time, which I thought was quite strange and it felt like Kirby and White didn't know who was meant to be dropping deep and like trying to pick up the ball and who was like staying there and they like kind of took turns on it and again that just felt like that's something that you hope's just going to be ironed out over time right it just felt like the the actual instructions hadn't quite got through as clearly as you wanted them to but yeah the selection of Stanway and Jordan Nobbs was very interesting um, Risa actually played Stanway in that same role against Northern Ireland, but at mm. the time, Kira Walsh was injured, so she then so Georgia Stanway started in that, and Ella Toon actually also came on that. So I assumed that she was just like, I've got this position to fill. Then, but it seems like from these games, it's clearly something she's interested in is is having a more. I don't want to say dynamic because Kira Walsh isn't dynamic, but maybe more like attack minded. Kira Walsh is going to sit and just like spray nice passes out. Whereas you saw, I thought George Stanway was really good against Canada, actually, you know, the way that she can be like quite press resistant. She can turn, she can run with the ball. She offers you a lot of different things going forward, as long as you don't worry too much about the defense and maybe against a side, as we kind of saw with, Canada who who are willing to sit, sit back that is a useful thing to look for I do think England have maybe struggled in the past against weaker teams because they have been wedded to having like a more sitting defensive midfielder so I think it's an interesting option but I thought what was weird was pairing Stanway with Nobbs in that scenario because I just don't think Jordan Nobbs works there at all I, she mm. just doesn't work in that midfield role or maybe it's not that she doesn't work like she's always going to be an exceptional player it's just that when you're playing Jordan Nobbs more advanced like she is one of the best in the world just seems a shame to have her there yeah 
yeah for sure well we, we did like a thing over lockdown with her and we like looked at um some of the just some of her clips for arsenal and a few for england and she was like the run that I'm always trying to make is the run off of a midfielder in behind because no midfielder wants to track that run. So I make mm. that run because it forces them to, to adapt to it. And maybe it's Leah Williamson playing over the top. Or it might not even be that she gets the ball, but she just drags someone out of position, like you were saying. And you, she just can't do that if she's leaving Georgia Stanway to like stop counter-attacks. Yeah, and she's too far back, right? Like You need to be on the shoulder of that midfielder to like be ready to make that run. But if you're facing the midfielder, there's no... They can see what you're doing. So it's not going to work in the same way. Yeah. So there were a couple of times where, like, to, for England to, to, like, play out, I was like, oh, like, I, I kind of like this because Nobbs and Stanway are both, like, you can give them the ball with someone on them and it doesn't really bother them. But then as soon as you go a goal down and as soon as you, I don't know, have to, you could say, chase the game or as soon as, like, it's the emphasis is on you to try and, to try and, control it and manage it in that way without having someone who's gonna do do the stuff without the ball Just, I don't know didn't didn't really work yeah and I think kind of what was missing as well was well I think for a start Lauren Hemp was up against a very good defender and Ashley Lawrence and she was just kind of shackled and that's the nature of playing against very good teams you know if the right defender is going to come up against Lauren Hemp she's only what like 19 20 like she's probably going to get better at dealing in those situations but it's not necessarily surprising that she was quite quiet but I think for me the problem that I thought was strange as I kind of like hinted at earlier is you know having Nikita Paris as your right winger in that situation that I just kind of feel like she doesn't necessarily, because she doesn't play there regularly anymore, doesn't necessarily have the same like impetus to make those runs that maybe we were used to see her play in the past when she played there for City. And I was kind of surprised that we didn't see maybe Paris and Kirby swap because Kirby's played that right wing role for Chelsea fairly recently and well. Okay, at the moment she tends to be playing more in a two with Kerr, but she's played it more recently than Nikita Paris and it would have made sense maybe to have Nikita Paris, you know, as that kind of second striker with Ellen White or Bethany England, whoever it was. So I think, again, that was just something that I just felt didn't really work at all. And I think what's hard is when you see these changes get made in games, you also just feel sorry for like the players who have to come on after like the whole system's changed. Like I would have loved to seen Chloe Kelly start there because you just can't judge her performance when she's just getting 15 minutes at the end of games and four players around her have also switched like around the same time because it's so disjointed at that point that you're not going to see what they could look like in like a full starting 11. In that, in that full starting 11, do you think it is just either... So I guess you'd think it's it's either Ellen White or it's Bethany England. For you, there's a decent argument to be made that Nikita Paris is an option there too. Yeah, I, I would think so. You know, I mean, she's not as good a striker as either of White or England, but she definitely offers you that versatility. And it's always hard to judge when someone's at Leon, right? Because you're going to get so many chances created for you. Like she's good at scoring goals. She will score some of them. I think she's got 13 this season. Um, but yeah, she she definitely has that ability to to play in that role, and I wonder if 
you know, kind of as she's got older and maybe lost a bit more of her pace, it, it suits her a bit more um, to to be in that space and to kind of make those runs out to the wing if there's then someone else who's coming in. But that's what it felt like. There wasn't any plan. There was no that final movement into the box from any of those players, you know, whether it was whoever was at 10 or whoever was on the right wing. Mm -hmm. How much of that England team do you think are like locks for the GB squad? I think a lot. Um, I think people have played... People want to like play up the other nations coming in, but I would honestly be really surprised if it was more than two. I really? think Caroline Weir is someone who I'd be really surprised if she wasn't picked. Um, and I think she actually works really well in that kind of midfield role that we were just talking about, you know. Um, I personally would maybe go with Aaron Cuthbert, just again, because I think England are short on those kind of like midfielders who are just going to work, work, work. Um, but honestly, other than that, I don't really see who, who else Risa will be looking to pick. And it's just the nature of the game, right? Like you're spending all your time looking at England players right now. When you turn your attentions to Team GB, of course you're still going to like look to pick England players. And truthfully, I, I don't think... I mean, I think there are players who can compete, but I think other than Caroline Weir, actually, I don't think you'd say there was a, necessarily a standout name in the other home nations who'd be like, this person has to go. There's lots of good players. You know, like I know Sophie Ingalls, like a popular name, but I think she's had a pretty poor season and I don't think she's any better than the England option. So I just don't see, really see which players are going to force the question that aren't English. Kim Little, no? Again, she hasn't like played a huge amount this season. It depends because actually having seen the way Reese's looked to play older players, maybe that is more the direction she would go in because I personally would say like players like Kim Little, Jess Fishlock, Sophie Ingle, who are all really good players, to me, I'd be like, oh, kind of a bit old. You know, like the Olympics turnaround is so fast. I would want to be looking at kind of under 28 players, unless they're like exceptional. Um, but then I don't know, because I was yeah surprised how little Risa wanted to see the younger players. So maybe that is the direction she's going in. But I think that would be my concern when you're looking at players who are kind of 30 plus. Um, mm -hmm. You're going to really want, to know that they can hold their fitness. And I don't think Kim Little is that reliable in that sense. Mm. It's such a, the, the timing of everything is so obviously thrown off because of coronavirus. And you just think some of these players, it would have really, really benefited them to have done this last year. And then there are others who are like, the fact it's a year later is like, is unbelievable. They'll probably get more, probably get more minutes as a result of it. Yeah, like you look at Lauren Hemp, and you're like, if this was last year, would would she have nailed down? I think she should have nailed down a starting spot, to be honest. I don't see who else should start in that left wing position. But like this time last year, I don't think you'd necessarily say that. So good for yeah. her. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, when I, I went to Man Spursby Man City at the Hive, maybe I think it was last year. I think it was, it must have been the start-ish of the season before COVID stopped everything. 
And it's just one of those, you just watch someone warm up and you watch the, like, I mean, she's like 10 minutes into the game and you're like, I I just feel awful for, I think maybe Ashley Neville was playing yeah, like yeah. back for Spurs. And I was like, oh God, you're going to have a horrendous day. And they're like, it's not just like, oh, she she got in a couple of times. It was like, right, every time we get the ball, let's switch it out to Lauren Hemp. Yeah, you know? and she's just going to run at you. She's just going to run yeah. at you for 90 minutes. Yeah, she she's so, so good. So good. Um, I don't know if, if you saw it, but Karen Carney was before the City game against Barcelona saying that when she saw Lauren Hemp, that's when she, she needed to retire. I love stories love. like that. Yeah, so good. So, so good. Um, I was I was going to ask, what, like, what, what was the last live game you went to and how have you been finding going to games? Yeah, so the last live game I went to was Chelsea-Birmingham. So just before the international break. Um, I love it. It, I mean, it, I feel very privileged. <laughs> I feel like a, a, in an elite club to get to go to games. Um, it is strange not having fans there. I find it more strange at Kings Meadow because that's obviously where I used to go a lot just as a fan. Um, but I feel like super lucky. Like I was at the home leg of the Chelsea Atletico Madrid game. Um, with the sending off and all the penalties and that I was just like this is the most bonkers game of football I've ever watched and I can't believe there's like 10 people 10 other people here it, it's crazy um, but yeah I mean it, it, it's great because I love hearing what the players say as well like I find that fascinating but it is just like it, it always feels a little bit hollow I think yeah, and Kings Meadow is like the when it's full, it's like it's 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 rocking there, isn't it? Yeah, that's why I think sometimes at other grounds, like I haven't noticed it as much, but Kings Meadow is like proper, like four thousand people in there, and it feels like really proper. And I think it's great what Chelsea have done with it because I think it's a really really good fit for the club. Mm. I bet in the stadium you can like hearing the players is really interesting. Hearing the coaches to me is so much fun. Yeah. So much fun, particularly when both coaches are up and they're chatting and you can hear the different ways that they communicate with players. Chelsea Arsenal, where Emma Hayes is like short, sharp commands. She's like, Sam, drop, <laughs> Sam. And Joe Montemiro is like having this like long flowing conversation. He's like, yeah, just move to the right. And like, remember this. <laughs> this is really funny. And you never get this when there's crowds there. Yeah, it's funny. It's actually annoying though at Kings Meadow because they've got the benches on the other side of the pitch. So when you're actually at Kings Meadow, it's quite hard to hear um, the managers. But yeah, and obviously everyone really loved that um, Emma Hayes clip at Wolfsburg. It is really it, fascinating. You know, she really micromanages a team in some ways. But I think it's been interesting watching definitely like Sam Kerr develop as a player being able to connect it to those instructions that she's getting and I think it's interesting seeing how Penila Harder then fits in in that system because I mean I don't know how Stefan Lurch talked to her when she was at Wolfsburg but I feel like when you're moving from a team where you are the centre of everything to a team where your manager's like yelling at you to press all the time it must be quite um quite a shift. Does she like that? Do you feel like she likes that? I don't know. I think it, I just think it's a it's a learning curve, and it is interesting. Like when I was at the Birmingham game, Frank Kirby was getting annoyed at her for not. 
pressing properly or like just like like going in but as soon as the player went after her just leaving it and I thought that was quite like an interesting dynamic because Fran Kirby's obviously been at Chelsea for so long she's worked with Emma Hayes for years to see those two kind of like butt heads a bit on it but I just think the level like the levels that Hayes demands from her players it means that anyone coming into that system is always going to take some time to adjust and I think we are still seeing harder take some time to adjust to to that system yeah I guess the most impressive thing is that it's the adjustments are happening on the job and they're still flying like they're doing they're playing so well yeah I mean that's what happens I guess when you just put a million good players in one team but yeah and I think it's also the the benefit of you know Sam Kerr coming in in the January so she's been in the side for like six months before you're then bringing Penila Harder in like I would imagine that wasn't not planned do you know what I mean it's something that can kind of look like coincidence but I would I would be surprised if that hadn't been thought about Mm. Chelsea and City just ahead of the game with recruitment yeah I mean Emma Hayes like definitely just tracks players for years like the harder move had been in the work for ages uh Sam Kerr Hayes said she'd been watching her for for a really long time um and even people like you know Leupold's like Chelsea had signed her over Christmas to come in like at the end of the season so City's City's more interesting I think they obviously like look to snap up the Americans um which is like an interesting decision, but it'll be interesting to see if Mewis and Lavelle stay, like what that kind of short-termism looks like. Um, it's, it's something Chelsea had done in the past. You know, Chelsea had Crystal Dunn before on a similar kind of deal. And it can be hard, you know, if your team starts to rely on one exceptionally good player, then you have to adjust when they can leave quite suddenly. And that's pretty much what happened with Dunn at Chelsea. So I think, it, it, you know, it's interesting when you look at recruitment, I think Arsenal are really up there as well. Like, I know they've not had a, a great season, but I think their recruitment's been very clever as well. And I think they've definitely got, like, one of the best setups, I think, for, like, bringing players through gradually, even though their squad isn't as big or as full of names as perhaps City or Chelsea's is. Mm. Why don't you think they ended up with a with like a big name this summer? Last summer, I think they they're not interested in that those kind of short term deals like City and United are. I think there has been some kind of strange stuff with transfers. Like I know they were in for Alessia Russo because she played for Arsenal before she went to the States but for some reason that fell through and that's like a bit of a strange one but Arsenal seemed like quite focused obviously in bringing lots of these players that they had in their academy back from the States that's like one more in Anna Patton as well but I just think you know Montemuro at least knew the the players he wanted and he he went out and got them and actually they're big they did make a big signing it was just Steph Catley and she's been injured so we've not seen her this season but that was like she is seen as being one of the best left backs in the world. So that was like a statement signing in some ways. Okay, it wasn't an American, but like that's where they obviously wanted to kind of put their resources. Um, kind of ditto with Caitlin Ford, who obviously we have seen a lot more of, and I think she looks fantastic. So I think it's just a different 
a different view of things but obviously it'll be interesting to see now with Montemuro moving on what kind of happens with those players because it feels like his is very much his team mm, I was going to say who 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 do you think they go for next and how much of this squad continues to be the part of the the club yeah in terms of who they go for next I'm really not sure like I know some people have said Jane Ludlow maybe um which would be interesting I think it'd be interesting to see her take on a challenge like this um Stefan Lurch was also another name but I've heard that he doesn't he's not looking to leave Germany I don't think at the moment um I know Tim Stillman said that also perhaps Arsenal are looking to bring in more of a technical director and have a coach rather than have like a manager like Montemura was. So I don't know how much, whether they're going to go for someone who's perhaps less heard of. The pool of managers in women's football is just so small. You just feel like, well, they could easily just pull someone out of like thin air and you'd mm. never necessarily have heard mm. of them. In terms of players moving on, I don't know. I guess it, I think it would depend so much on who they bring in. Obviously, the kind of big out of contract players are Williamson and Miedemar. I could see Miedemar choosing this as an opportunity to move on. Um, but again, I think it could depend on who they bring in. But I suspect Williamson will stay. She obviously has the personal connection to the club. I don't really see what her incentive to leave would be. Whereas for Miedemar, maybe you know, she would be ready to look for a, for a new challenge in a different league. But yeah, as I say, I think it can, it will probably depend on a lot on who they bring in. Mm -hmm. um, thinking about the, the City-Chelsea game, are you able to think about Chelsea like as a, an objective journalist or do you find yourself just like, I'm still a Chelsea fan, so that clouds your judgment a bit? Uh, I try my best outside. I think I'm pretty good outside of, actual game situations when it comes to like watching actual 90 minutes most of the time if I'm writing on a Chelsea game I will just re-watch it like I'll watch it first time round as a fan and then go back to it not because I like I think I could detach myself but it's just not fun like I want to be in it as a fan and I want to enjoy it so I don't want to like sit there and be like like taking notes and like trying to dissect everything um but yeah like obviously you have your own like biases a lot of the time and I think it's hard when a team is genuinely very good like Chelsea are objectively a very good team so it makes it I think harder to pull apart the bits where you're like is this because I support them or is this because they are like a good team like I don't know like that that's that's something that I think it's just very hard to see from like an internal perspective yeah, I wish I could offer some thoughts, but Spurs are just not very good. <laughs> yeah, um, that would be easier, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely easy to find the flaws. Definitely easy to find the flaws. Um, I uh, went to um, Man City, put on a couple of like webinar things of uh, at the back end of the lockdown, and they had some like stuff with the players, like Sam Mewis and Esme Morgan, and. Someone else who I can't remember. Oh, uh, Caroline Weir. And they did some stuff with the coaches. And um, basically, it all kind of boiled down to they were saying, like, we know that if we win every single game between now and the end of the season, we win the league. 
and I was like, okay, that sounds that sounds great. Sounds really 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 good. Um, but I guess I was le- like unconvinced um, that in like a one-off, maybe not. It won't like maybe won't necessarily decide the title like mathematically, but like when the two best teams play each other, the winner might is probably going to come first, the loser is probably going to come second. Um, it just seems like Chelsea and Emma Hayes have the advantage there. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, I think Chelsea also have the advantage because they obviously know that they just have to not lose. You know, if they draw, they're, they're fine. And it's going to be really interesting because so Chelsea have been beaten City three times this season across three different competitions. But They've also never won over 90 minutes at the Academy Stadium, which I also think I'm, I'm sure is something Emma Hayes is like desperate to do. When they won in the Continental Cup this season, that they did that in extra time, and that was the first time they'd, they'd managed to win there at all. So I think Chelsea will probably be confident that they've had the beating of this city before, but I think this City team is very different from the one they played at the beginning of the season in those Community Shields and the WSL match at Kings Meadow, both of which felt like City were still really trying to feel out what what they were trying to, to do under Gareth Taylor. I think the only... My concern, if I was Gareth Taylor, from the original WSL match was how well... Chelsea marshaled Lucy Bronze and how much it felt like without her City really struggled to create anything um and Hayes basically just put Erin Cuthbert on her and and that that was it it was like a Cuthbert masterclass so that would be a concern but also that game Lauren Hemp was injured which was the injury that she picked up in the Community Shield and I think we saw when Chelsea played Wolfsburg how perhaps being run at is a is a real weakness of theirs and you know that defense when you do put pressure on it that they will concede chances and Marimielda being out is is a massive problem for them in some ways I wonder if against like a Lauren Hemp it could be a bit of a blessing in disguise because Marimielda doesn't always feel like the fastest fullback on the planet she's very good positionally and defensively obviously but I do wonder if you are going to have like Neve Charles there whether against Lauren Hemp's speed, that's that might be to Chelsea's advantage, actually, in a way that Hayes probably wouldn't have necessarily like chosen to pick um, if Mielda wasn't injured. But yeah, I think well, Chelsea will Chelsea most of the time are exceptional game managers, and I think that's what City will have to really fight against because if they're going to have to push for the win, which they will do, Chelsea suit counter-attacking really well and I feel like that is probably the element that might be too much for City. Yeah if Lucy Bronze were to not play would she be a bigger miss for City or for England? I think in either case it's just one of the best players in the world (laughs) not being in the side. At an international level perhaps because teams don't have as much time to work on tactics necessarily that that same kind of pressure on one position isn't felt as much but yeah I think at a club level I guess you know I think if she's out for City they 
they lose a lot and I think they lose a lot of leadership and, and passion as well and you know I know they've got Horton and, and White and obviously those are two very experienced players too but I think Lucy Bronze when you look at her play like her drive on the pitch feels like incomparable um I think you saw it in that in the second leg of the Barcelona game you know which was a, always a bit of a lost cause for City but she's there kind of on the goal line throwing herself at every every shot to like keep them with a chance of even being in the game and I think Barcelona kind of showed it as well like that they were very good at marshalling her too and I think it just she offers so much creativity whether she's going on the outside of the flank or whether she's you know moving more centrally Jao Cancelo the original Jao Cancelo <laughs> um it really annoys me when commentators are like Lucy Bronze playing like Jao Cancelo I'm like no <laughs> she was doing this way before but you know I think that versatility is what is what makes her so dangerous and what helps make City so dangerous when she's in full flow yeah, no question. It's just like if you're if you're so good at so many areas of the game, you can be effective in so many areas of the pitch. It's just like, right, what do you need from me today? Oh, goal line clearance is cool. Oh, you want me to tuck inside? Cool. Oh, you want me to overlap? Yeah, exactly. Cool. It's just and the you know intelligence she has to also read the game where you're not even like you don't obviously don't even even need to tell her. Do you know what I mean? She's just picking up on where that space is and she's like making making it her own. And she's she's got everything, you know. Did you watch, there was like an England v England like scrimmage thing that they were all mic'd oh, up Oh yeah, for. I was at that game. Oh, were you? What was it like? Really weird because we were like right, at, it was in the, it was in Stoke again, like where the Canada game was. And we yeah. were like right at the top, which was really bizarre because obviously you just felt like really far away from the pitch. The game itself was really fun. Lots of the England inter games had been like nil-nil draws. And this was the first one I'd gone to and I was really worried it was going to be dull. And I was like, oh my God, I've gone all the way to Stoke. But it was hilarious because, yeah, Lucy Bronze just basically ripped the other side to shreds. And I think they won, like, 7-1 or something ridiculous. Um, it was by far and away, I actually texted a mate during the uh, England-Canada game. was like, Hegger Research should just get a note of what that team, that they were the red team, I think, red team was, and just play them. Mm. That was the best I've seen England play in a very, very long time. In the highlights, I think the extended highlights, they're like, seven minutes or something so you don't really get a full sense of it but it was very clearly like a team with a back three and wing backs against a team with a back four and the team with back three and wing backs won largely probably because like you say Lucy Bronze was one of those wing backs so she can cover two positions by herself basically um why yeah why would you not be like oh this this works we have the players to do this we've got really really dynamic wide players sorry I used the word dynamic sorry um let's give this yeah, a go yeah I don't know I guess maybe you don't feel like you've necessarily got the centre-backs for it. Although I would argue that England, when they play two centre-backs, they always look pretty weak. So maybe you do want to go with three centre-backs. I think it, I think it would be interesting and it would work well. I think it would like nullify a lot of England's weaknesses. But maybe you just look at that game and say, I think it was Steph Horton and Esme Morgan with the centre-back pairing on the other side. And Esme Morgan had an absolute nightmare. Maybe you just say this game was because the other set of England players were really bad, not because the red side or whatever was was really good. Um, I also just think Risa obviously is really wedded to this 4-2-3-1. I mm. think you, you tend to see with play, with different managers, don't you? Like they, they get to liking formations and especially with playing three at the back. That's something that, you know, it's like 
you know, Espirito Santo or Antonio Conte, they're going to do it. And I'd say, like, at least in men's football, Thomas Tuchel is, like, one of the few managers I'd pick out who, like, play it, but also will play four at the back and are a bit more versatile with that. So I, I think if you're a manager and you don't like it, you just don't like it. Yeah, it's like an ideological, like, right. just like a big thing. Yeah, yeah I, I'm, a back, I'm a back three coach, <laughs> actually. Yeah. You mentioned Tuchel. Are you, are you enjoying the, the, the Tuchel reign? I'm loving it. I'm, I think what I like is, regardless of performance, which has mostly been good, but it just feels like reassuring to know that there's almost certainly a reason behind it. Whereas what was really frustrating with Lampard was it just felt like every game was like, roll the dice roll the dice I just never believed that he he knew why he was trying different things he was just trying them for the sake of it whereas with Tuchel it just feels like even when you've got like the bizarreness of that West Brom game which honestly I just watched laughing because it was so funny but you still think well he, he you just feel like he knows what he's doing and I, I like that about him yeah I, I miss that feeling as a fan <laughs> of your team um yeah what you, you said that um for some of those games you've been really really high up what's your favorite place to to sit in when you're when you're watching a game live I think I'll tell you what I really like doing which you don't get to do much at smaller grounds but you know if you go to like Dulwich Hamlet or somewhere you stand behind one goal and then go behind the other goal that is the most fun I think in terms of like a fan perspective from a journalist's perspective, I will say I was at Vicarage Road for the Conti Cup final and that was like perfect height, I thought. Not like the stadium wasn't big enough or I guess maybe they, they must have had like um, the posh boxes above the press stand. But you were high enough to kind of get the bird's eye view to be able to see like the formations and see the patterns in the game, but without being so high that you needed like binoculars. That was the Stoke problem. <laughs> I get that about like the going behind the goals thing. I remember going to Boreham Wood a couple of times and you can just like, right, which goalie am I going to follow yeah. today? Yeah, I think as a fan, like that's, you just want to, if you just want to see a team like when they score, that is definitely like the best feeling. But as like a journalist, you, you kind of want to be in the middle of the pitch. Otherwise you just m miss everything. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, cool. That was great, awesome. Jesse. Thank you for having me on. Anything else? That, pleasure. Anything else you wanna you wanna touch on? Not what I can think of. I just hope England get better, basically. <laughs> yeah, let's let's let's. I don't know. Let's see. Let's see. The players are great. It's a really, really good group of players, right? And I guess you can hope that with them playing well for clubs and a bit more time for the for the manager, that it, that it starts to take a bit yeah, of shape. Yeah, fingers crossed. The Olympics will be an interesting tournament, I Thank you.